Thank you, Bob, for the privilege of coming and sharing with your church. What an honor this is for me. And I, I'm going to tell you, when I saw your pastor early this morning, there was just this, this leap of joy in his just a spirit. You could just tell it. And I thought he was excited to hear me preach. And then I remembered Kentucky beat Tennessee last night in basketball. And uh, I know there's some bluegrass folks here. But anyway, that's right. I, know, I understand it too. There's, some of you have learned through the trials and others have learned through successes. So God has all these things in his hands. So just, just give it to him. But it is a joy for me to be here with the, uh, my dear friend Bob Jolly. You are blessed with a pastor that loves the Lord and loves his word and loves you. And also has a deep love for the community as well. And so uh, I know that you are so thankful for him. And I'm thankful for your church. Now think about this for just a moment. Uh, Georgia Baptist, 3,600 churches strong all across this great state of Georgia. 3,600. That's a lot of churches, isn't it? More churches, more Baptist churches in Georgia than McDonald's. So we've got a lot of things going on. But somehow Ron McDonald's serving millions and millions and millions, and we've got to learn from him. But the reality is, dear friends, here's the truth. We have the gospel that we can share, and it's far more important than any Happy Meal it really transforms a person's heart and life. And that's what we're wanting to do is work together as a convention of churches to get the gospel to everybody in Georgia. But not just Georgia. Our, our, our call is for the world. <laughs> our, call, our call is to go into all the world, every corner, as the Scripture says, as Jesus taught us. And that's what we want to do as a convention of churches. And so thank you for your commitment to not only doing missions here in Cumming, Georgia, and Forsyth County, and Thank you also for your commitment to doing missions all across the world. Because, you see, when you give today, in just a few moments, your giving will go, a percentage of it will go to do ministry here. A percentage of it will go to do ministry in Georgia. Also, part of it will go to do ministry across North America. You know the North American Mission Board. Just four exits down on exit uh, 10 on 400, uh, there is a the headquarters of our denomination to plant churches all across North America in these 36 metroplexes that are terribly underchurched. And what a wonderful thing it is that people in, uh, in all across our country in Baptist churches have committed themselves to going to these places to start works in some very difficult areas. And so we're thankful for their commitment and yours to help them to go. But you know what? There are also Southern Baptists that are in places across the world that are in countries where there are no churches. There are in countries where the Word of God is not taught or preached uh, publicly because if it were, there would be, there would be some terrible uh, results from that because their government would either banish them, put them in jail, or even, even worse. And so by your, by your giving, they have the resources to go to these countries, these nations, and teach these people the Word of God and the love of God. <clears throat> but I'm going to tell you something even more important than your giving. You ready? It's your praying for them as well. And I'm encouraging you to be praying for what's going on in Georgia, what God is doing across uh, our nation and North America, and what God is doing across the world. And I know you are. And here's the third thing that we all can do. We all can go. Now, some of you say, I can't go to, maybe I can't go to Sierra Leone, but you can go across the street. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is being that kind of person that does whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel of Christ. And here's the thing. We all can be a part of it. So if you have the, the, your Bibles with you, or if you're not, you can watch on the screen, you can read on the screen, but the Gospel of Mark is where we'll be looking at today. Our text will be Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And so if you have your Bibles there, you can read with me, and we'll look together at this text. I'm going to actually kind of talk through this text with you, 
uh, a little bit, and then we'll get down to the, the main part of our message this morning. But there's so much in this text that I think gives us a fuller understanding uh, of what's happening here and uh, also gives us a greater challenge when we have, I would say, the background, if you will, of the text. Every text has a context, and we need to know what the context is. Look with me now, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And again he, speaking of Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. If you have the King James Version, it says it was noised. In other words, there was a great commotion in Capernaum because Jesus was back again after some days. In verse 2 it says, And immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. Now what an amazing thing this is. And the reason why he's back in Capernaum is what happened in Mark chapter 1 at the end of it. Jesus was out in the countryside, out in the hillside there teaching and, uh, and uh, preaching. And as he's walking past, there was a man there that had been cast out into the country, into the, uh, into the outer skirts there of civilization. And he was out there because of a disease that he had. He was a leper. And there were, uh, <clears throat> there were laws that required lepers to be cast out from the population, cast away from their family. And, uh, and that's, where, that's where he was. And so Jesus was walking by, and this man so, showed such a tremendous amount of faith in Christ. While Christ is walking past him, he yells to him, If you're willing, you can make me whole. Can you just imagine this? Can you get the picture here? There's Jesus walking past him, and here's this man who's been given a death sentence. Now, I understand that every one of us has a death sentence. In other words, the Bible says, It is appointed unto man wants to die. There's not a person here who's going to beat death. We're all going to die. Now watch. But this disease was causing his death to come earlier than it would have if he had not had it. And it was a very excruciating way to die. Uh, it was a very painful physically and emotionally. Listen, when people would walk up to him, he was required by law to yell, unclean! I'm unclean. Can you imagine that being your day tomorrow? If someone were to come near you tomorrow, you had to yell, I'm unclean. And then the next day, and then the next, and then for the rest of your life, that was his existence. And so you can see that there was a sense of uh, desperation in this man. And here's Jesus, and he is showing so much faith. And that's why he calls out, if you're willing, you can make me whole. I know. I, I, I've heard that you've done it before. And, but if you're willing, you can do this. And I want you to see what Jesus says in response to him. And it shows his sensitivity. It shows his compassion. And it shows his authority. He turns to the man. He said, I am willing. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that hurt? Doesn't that encourage you? Jesus is willing. He says, I am willing. And he says, be whole. And so immediately this man's disease is eliminated. It falls off of him. He's, just, he's whole now. And you can imagine there's a time of celebration. There's a time of, uh, of, of really of exaltation and worship. And then Jesus begins to talk to him and says, here's two things you've got to do. You've got to go show yourself to the priest and do the things that are really demanded or commanded by the law of Moses. You've got to pay your, your, your penance there of what has happened. Give it to the priest. But also he said this. I want you to keep this between you and me. Don't tell anyone what has just happened. And so now he is headed back home, headed back to his family. Can't wait to tell all of his friends, look, look what's happened to me. And so while he's on the way, you can see him passing by people who see him and go, wait a minute, what's happened to you? How did this, how did this happen? 
Now, there's a conflict. Yeah, as you would say, there's a conundrum. He's got, he's got this difficulty inside of him of, do I do what Jesus told me to do, or do I just let out this secret? Have you ever had good news and just couldn't help but just say it? I mean, listen, my wife hates it because I tell the kids months before Christmas what they're getting for Christmas. I just can't keep a secret, y'all, okay? And so this man's being asked, what happened? And you can just see him saying, all right, just you and me, okay. Jesus healed me. Jesus made me whole. In fact, what the text tells us in Mark chapter 1 is he went out and began to proclaim it freely. <laughs> in other words, he just couldn't keep it any longer. Jesus has healed me. But you know what? You and I should be the same, shouldn't we? I mean, think about it. the reality. Our soul was diseased because of sin. We were certainly headed for death, spiritual death. We were dead spiritually and for an eternal spiritual death. But Jesus saved our soul. He forgave our sin. And we should be proclaiming his praises freely. Can I get an amen from the 11 o'clock hour? Y'all got to work on your amen, all right? My sermons, my sermons are so much shorter. God bless you. My sermons are so much shorter with a good amen, I promise you. Southern Baptist. Uh, anyway, so now what's happened is the crowd has grown. Jesus is pulling back, and he, he had this place that he loved to go. It, it was a place that really helped to recharge his battery physically. Do you have a place like that that in, in your mind you can think about right now? There's a place. Maybe there's a beach that you go. Maybe there's a mountain setting. Maybe there's something that you just go to. You're going, ah. Well, that was Capernaum for Jesus. 1,500 people in its heyday as far as the residents, as far as the people that lived there. Uh, it was just a sleepy little fishing village. But what a tremendous impact Capernaum had on the world. Think about it. It's a little bitty town that had four of the 12 apostles come from it. Isn't that amazing that God can take anybody from anywhere and use them to change the world? That's his power. And so Jesus is back in Capernaum, as it says in Mark chapter 2. The crowd's now gathered. Now let's look together at the last part of verse 2. It says, and he preached the word to them. There, there's a sermon right there in that. It was so important as he has this crowd now that they hear the word from the word about the word. And so now he's preaching to them. Look at verse 3. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now watch this, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. Now don't you find that interesting? That Jesus, listen to this, saw their faith. You know, our faith is in the invisible. That's why faith is required. But as we see here in Mark chapter 2, our faith is not invisible. People can see it. People can hear it. They can experience it. It's, it's tangible. It's real. It's obvious that people can see our faith because, you see, our faith is on display every day. Let me say this to you. You are showing your faith every day to your neighbors, to your family, to your coworkers, to the people on 400 that you're honking at. You're showing your faith, or lack thereof, every day. You see, our faith is displayed in our actions. 
in our responses, in our words. Our faith is displayed that we believe that God has this. And it really is seen in how we live our lives. Your pastor read for you just a few moments ago, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And the writings there of Paul to that wonderful church there. And he talked about that he's, he's praying for them constantly. He knows about their labor of love and their faith. And then he says, you know what? He said, you remember this, that the gospel came to you. Now watch this. Not in word only. Now think about this for just a moment. The word gospel means good news. So how in the world do you share good news? Well, it's with words, right? I mean, you share good news through words. But now Paul says that we delivered the good news of Jesus Christ. We delivered the gospel to you, but not only with words. In other words, we didn't only use words. Well, then what in the world did you use, Paul? Paul says this later on in just a couple of verses. He says, because you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. In other words, what Paul's saying is we came to Thessalonica and we lived out our faith in front of you. In fact, our lives, because of our faith, were, it was preaching a message to you every time you were with us. It's, it's an awesome passage. If you had never studied the first chapter there, I would encourage you, because then Paul says this, and you became imitators of us. Isn't that awesome? You saw how our lives were lived, that we, listen, we lived it out each and every day, and you were seeing the benefit of our faith to the point where you said, I'm going to start living like those guys. You know what the world needs? Listen, the world doesn't need more critics. The world needs more Christians who are living by faith, who are a living example of what happens to a person when they are saying no to the world, no to the flesh, no to the devil, I am going to follow Christ, and I'm going to live by faith. And I'm going to tell you what happens when we do that. Listen, it pleases God. You know what the Bible says? Without faith, listen, it is impossible to please God. But when we live by faith, you know what happens, don't you? Our faithfulness, listen, is just a superhighway that, listen, that engages us with the power of of God, with the activity of God, when we live by faith, listen, it then allows God to pour his power and might and strength and wisdom upon us that he might use us to accomplish his task or his call or his will upon our lives. In other words, Paul said this, I can do all things through Christ who, what? Strengthens me. See, sometimes we read that and think, well, God's going to strengthen me to do what I want. No, God will strengthen you to accomplish his will for your life and to obey all of the commands that he's given you. But your response is to live by faith. And so these men have lived by faith. These four guys, they, listen, they're so, um, they're just average Joes. I'll say it that way. I mean, they, they're, they're so obscure that we don't even have their names. We only, we only know them by their actions. We only know them by their faith. And when they were displaying faith, what did it do? It caused a reaction by Jesus. Let's go back to that verse. Go back to that verse, if you will. And when Jesus saw their faith, 
He then said to the paralytic, what? Son, your sins are forgiven you. How wonderful is that? It's interesting. No one here has said, Jesus, we're here to have our sins forgiven. It was just understood that you wouldn't have gone to the lengths that you've gone to unless you understand that I can forgive sin, unless you are coming here because you know that you're a sinner and you need to have your sin forgiven. You wouldn't go to these lengths and show such faith if you didn't know this. And so now here is this man who's being blessed beyond measure. When I say those words, I'm not just using some type of a colloquialism or some type of a, a, a slogan or saying. I'm telling you, blessed beyond measure. There are a lot of things in my life that uh, I have heard people say that have changed my life and affected my life. I remember as a young boy growing up, going to school and high school, trying out for sports teams. I heard coaches tell me this every now and then. Hey, Thomas, you, you made the team. And I'm like, great. You're third string, but we need somebody to tackle. I'm like, okay. I'm a tackle dummy. I'll be there. I heard this a few times. Not many. Thomas, you passed the class. And then they would say, and it's a miracle or something like that. I caused more teachers to believe in miracles than anybody you would ever imagine. I heard this from my wife. In fact, on a New Year's Eve night, I knelt down in front of the prettiest blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl I'd ever seen in my life. And I said, wilt thou? And she wilted. Uh, she said yes to my proposal of marriage. And I said, say it again. I do. Oh, you will? Oh, okay, okay. I, I had to make sure because those words... We're going to change my life. You ready? You with me? I heard this twice from the doctor. It's a girl. Twice. That not only changed my life, it, it changed my pocketbook. Man, my 401k is a 201k right now. But anyway. <laughs> but it's amazing how these words spoken to us really impact our lives, right? Some for the good and some for the, for the difficult. But let me say this to you. Of all the things I've ever heard in my life, none of them compare to these words spoken to Jesus. You ready? You ready? Your sins are forgiven. What an amazing thing. Your sins, listen, are forgiven. Now, it's one thing for you to forgive me or me to forgive you. In other words, if I said something, uh, maybe that was not kind or I told a lie about you, you came to me and said, Thomas, <laughs> I forgive you. And I said, oh, thank you, and we'd hug, and that would be it. But you know what you can't do? You can't remove it from my record. In other words, it's still there. That sin that I committed against you, you might forgive it, but it's still on my record. As the Scripture says, it's imputed on my account. But let me tell you the amazing thing that Jesus can do, and only Jesus can do. Jesus can forgive us, 1 John chapter 1, that if we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. In other words, Jesus can remove it from our record and cleanse us as if we have never sinned before. That is where he imputes upon us and our account his righteousness. What an amazing God he is. Your sins are forgiven. Now some there were celebrating when they heard that. They were rejoicing in their heart possibly because they too have experienced that, that salvation. But there were others there that didn't believe. And since they didn't believe, they thought that Jesus was blaspheming. 
In fact, let's look at the next verse here. He, Jesus says this very powerful statement, your sins are forgiven, but now look what it says in verse 6. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, in that statement, I want you to understand their theology is spot on. Only God can forgive sin. However, where they made their error is this. They had no idea whose presence they were in. They did not know that Jesus is God in the flesh. Let's keep reading. But immediately, verse 8, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, first question is this, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? In other words, why are you so troubled that I just told this man, your sins are forgiven you? And then he comes to another question. Now watch this. At this, this next question is going to show you the master teacher at his best where he's using a question to bring those doubters out of the shadows of their doubt and expose their doubt and then be able to, watch this, be able to then change their doubt to understanding because he's about to teach them a very powerful lesson. All right, look what he says here. First question, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Second question, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, if I were to ask you that question, what would you say? Which is easier, to say to someone your sins are forgiven you or to say to rise, take up your bed, and walk? You would probably respond with this, easier. They both are equally impossible without God. In other words, this is a God action or activity. You see, when the man's being lowered down from that hole that's in the roof, and Jesus spoke those words, Son, your sins are forgiven. What took place right there was a miracle. And you understand that a miracle is when God, who made the natural, and also has the authority to go beyond the natural and do the supernatural. You with me? And now this work that was a miracle in the supernatural was, however, in the realm or in the sphere of the spiritual. Since it was a spiritual miracle, there was no evidence or proof that it happened. Since there was no footprint, no fingerprint, no barking dog, no way that CSI could have proved it, it left room for debate and argument about whether or not it happened or not. You with me? It did, it didn't, it did, it didn't. And so then Jesus brings up the possibility, or even in this proposal, the possibility of this. What if I do this? What if I tell this man who's paralyzed to get up and walk? That would be another miracle, supernatural, but it would be in the realm of the physical. Since it's a physical miracle, there would be obvious uh, uh, and there will be evidence, I guess is the best way of saying that, this just took place because nobody's going to say, I don't believe that man who is walking is walking. In other words, Jesus is about to end all discussion because of this one thing. Now watch this. Because Jesus wants everyone to know this one thing. You say, what is the one thing? Is it that Jesus can heal broken bodies? No. The most important thing that Jesus wants all of us to know is that he has the power on earth to forgive sin. That's it. In fact, he's about to do this second miracle in this man's life, not to bless him, 
but to use him as an object lesson so that everyone there would know that Jesus just did a miracle earlier that was in the realm of the Spirit. In fact, he gives us that reason in the very next verse. Look with me together at it so that we can see this. It says, Jesus' words, but that you may know, or in other words, so you will know, so that you will have a firm understanding, watch this, so that you will go beyond wondering to knowing. You with me? Does anybody here know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins? Amen. So you know it. There were some who didn't know it. And Jesus does this second miracle so that they would know it. Look what he says. But that you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And it says this, immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and they glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. What a wonderful way to respond. We never saw anything like this. Do you know what the Greek is for we never saw anything like this? I don't either. I don't have a clue. <laughs> I was hoping one of y'all would stand up. But anyway, maybe it's the Greek word wow, okay? But isn't that great? They left there and that gathering, a time of really of Jesus teaching the word, a time in which these four men showed tremendous amount of faith, a time in which a man's sins are forgiven and his body is healed, and they left saying, wow. I'm going to tell you what, friends. When we start living by faith, not by sight, when we start putting ourselves in a position of being vulnerable, in other words, if, if, if God doesn't come through, we're in, a, we're in a mess. Then God comes through because of our faith. The world will see the power of God, and they'll do what those folks did. They glorified God. Now, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about these four guys. Unknown heroes, unnamed, known only by their actions, and how you and I can learn from their example. And what's an amazing thing is simply this. For 2,000 years, Christians have been learning from their example. The first thing I want you to see is that they were carrying believers. C-A-R-R-Y-I-N-G. C-A-R-R-Y, carrying. You say, well, what, what's so significant about, significant about that? Well, what it shows is that these four guys were willing to adjust their life to meet people who didn't know Christ and listen, and then, and then help them come to where they could be in his presence. And the way in which that happened is they adjusted their life to serve them, to help them. You with me? In other words, this guy could have wanted to come to the house, but he couldn't get there on his own. He needed somebody to start a carrying ministry. And so there are four guys who saw the need, and they adjusted what they did to meet him at his point of need to get him to Jesus. 3,600 churches strong in Georgia, and I promise you all of them have ministries. All the churches have ministries. But sadly, most of our ministries are on those who already believe that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. And what we need is for us to turn our eyes outward 
and start using what we have already. And that's the knowledge that we have. And listen, and live it out. We know that he has the authority to forgive sin. Let's go out and live by faith and, sh and, and share and tell the world. For that to happen, you, got, you and I got to adjust our lives. See the need, meet the need. Six years ago, when I went to Alpharetta First Baptist, we were in a wonderful, loving church in a great town, just like, just like coming. And uh, we, we wanted to do some things to really to help our church see Alpharetta for what it truly was and what it was becoming, because we were in a city that was transitioning just like you are. And so we began to prayer walk every street in Alpharetta. We had a map of Alpharetta, the city limits there, on the big wall in one of our main thoroughfares. And we began to divide up the city in quadrants for connect groups to take the, the time to prayer walk. And they would mark off every area that they began to pray, those streets that they prayed. And, and what we told them is this, you're going you're gonna to see your city differently because there are things that you will see walking that you don't see when you're driving 50 miles an hour. There are going to be some things that you're going to see because you're going to be praying about this school or maybe this neighborhood or maybe, maybe uh, this fire station. And God will be, begin to speak to your heart and begin to allow your spiritual eyes to see needs. And then when you respond to those needs with, uh, Lord, how can we help? Come and share them with us so that we too can, can walk through that with you. And so we had uh, one of our ladies, her name was Paula, came back and she said, uh, Pastor, I think we need, to, uh, we need to do something on Marietta Street. She said, I think God wants us to do something on Marietta Street. And I said, well, wonderful. Where's Marietta Street? She said, it's three blocks from the church. I said, in which direction? And then she told me how to get there. And so I, next morning I got in my car and pulled out of the parking lot of the church and drove, took a ride on Academy Street, went down to the red light there at Highway 9, crossed that road, went a couple of blocks, went right past Marietta Street. It's just a little alley. I did an illegal U-turn and came back. I was a chaplain with the police department, so I could do that. But anyway, <laughs> so I turned down the, uh, the little alleyway there, and as I went through the alleyway, it opened up, and there were 18 dwelling places where 18 Latino families lived. And I was like, look at this. I didn't know this was here. How beautiful. And so I drove around just a little bit and came back to the church, shared with the staff a little bit. We gathered together a few of the ladies and some others, uh, some other leaders, as well as our staff. We began to talk and pray, what does God want us to do? And Paula came up with the idea, let's, let's, do, some, um, let's do some tutoring with the, with the children that are over there on Marietta Street. And we said, okay, great, it's a great idea. And so we went over and began to promote that with the, uh, the families that were there in that uh, little area, and uh, we said we're going to come Wednesday and pick you up. I think we picked them up at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock, maybe at 4, and then after a couple hours of tutoring, we'll feed them dinner, and then they can go to Awana or whatever Bible study was appropriate for their age. And, uh, and we, I think the first night we picked up, uh, I mean, first day we picked up about 4 or 5, and the next Wednesday we picked up 6 or 7. You know how this all works. And then the next week it was 10 or 11 or 12, and then the next week it was just packed. In fact, they came to me and said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. The, the bus was packed. And I went, oh, my goodness, i got to go in there and see this. And so I walked in, and there were, listen, there were these beautiful Latino children all over the room, and there were all these people trying to corral them as best they can. It was loud and crazy. And I said, God bless you. And I closed the door and left. <laughs> That's what every great leader does. But anyway, I'm teasing. I'm going to tell you what will bless your heart is to see, see a 70-year-old man down on his knee looking at a third grader and telling them God's got 
God's got big plans for you. God made you special. And God loves you so much. It was amazing. Week after week after week, their, their behavior and attendance was better and better and better. After a couple months, I got a phone call, and uh, the lady who was calling me was a, the principal of the school where these children from Marietta Street went. And she introduced herself to me, and she said, Are you the pastor at First Baptist Alpharetta? I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, are y'all the church that's doing all that work with the children at Marietta Street? And I said, well, that depends. <laughs> Is this good news or bad news? Because if it's bad news, the Methodists are doing it. <laughs> she said, it's good news. I said, well, what, tell me what's going on. She said, well, all I can tell you is whatever y'all are doing with those students, keep doing it. Their behavior is better. And she said, in fact, all the faculty have noticed this, and we talk about it. Their grades are all going up. Their homework is getting done now every night. Never has happened before. And she just said, thank you for what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. And I said, ma'am, all we're doing is showing them the love of Christ that changes lives. A few, a few weeks later, we did a, a gathering of those 18 families we had a dinner and uh and i got up at the end and with the help of one of our members who was also latino he translated for me and i shared the gospel with them and that night 18 of the parents gave their lives to christ and we launched what's known now as our latino ministry and amazingly enough those leaders or those people who were saved are now the, le the leaders of this ministry this past Christmas, we adopted another area, another street, if you will, of, of Alpharetta, and we had all those families come uh, to an event that we did at Christmas. And then we had uh, one of the couples that gave their lives to Christ that night. They stood before this group, and they shared their testimony. And they said, we, are, we were where you are. We were there six years ago. And I want you to, this is what they said, and, and, and I, I couldn't, obviously they are speaking Spanish, so my Spanish is poor, but um, so somebody was telling me what they were saying, because I wanted to know. I, I, was just, I was just seeing them beam, and they said, I want y'all to, this is what she said, I want y'all to understand that these people will love you, and they will help you, and they know God, and they will tell you about Jesus. And then she says, and he says, and Jesus has saved our souls. Wow. <laughs> how awesome is that but you have to see the need right and you have to say all right we're going to adjust so that we can meet them at their point of need second thing about them not only were they caring but they were caring c-a-r-i-n-g and the reason why i know they were caring is because if you don't care you won't carry in fact evidence listen now Evidence that you really do care is not in your words. You can say, I care a thousand times, but hear me now. But if you don't carry, I'm going to just give you a little preacher talk right now. You don't care. Care or caring forces you to carry. You see, it's care or caring that causes you to reach down and bow your neck 
Because you care, you're willing to go the extra mile. Because you care, you're willing to sacrifice. Because you care, you're willing to be inconvenienced. Aren't you glad somebody cared enough for you to share with you the love of Christ? Amen? So it's important for all of us to check our heart. Because some of us, years ago, our care button broke. And we need a revival. We need God to do a work in us. Because the things that used to break our heart, we don't even see them anymore. We need God to stir in us through the Holy Spirit to cause us to see our world through His eyes. And listen, and love our world through His heart. And respond in faith to what He wants us to do. So that His power can be released upon us. So that we would do things beyond our ability but would be doing things that are his ability. The third thing about them is this, they were cooperating. They all four worked together. How easily it would have been for all four of them to have their own plan. But I can promise you, if they all four had their own plan, we wouldn't have this in Mark chapter 2, would we? How many things has God led us to do that we didn't do because we couldn't get along well enough to work together? How embarrassing would that be? That some people couldn't humble themselves, couldn't swallow their pride and say, I'm just going to follow right here and work together. Let me tell you why these four guys worked together. Ready? Ready? Listen. They all had the same purpose. We're going to get our friend to Jesus. They all had the same passion. We love the Lord and we love our friend. And because of that, they worked together. Georgia Baptist, 3,600 churches strong. I mean strong. But if we do our own thing, I promise you, we won't do much. But if we pull together and work in unison and unity and love for each other and for the lost, I promise you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be an unstoppable force that will take the love of Christ all across Georgia, all across North America and the world. The last thing I'll say to you about is this. They were, they were creative. You, you see, the traditional way of getting into the house hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Back then, it was through the door. But if you go back and look at the text, it says that they could not come near the house, not even near the door. <laughs> So here are four guys coming late. Why? Because they're carrying somebody. And they can't get in there. And they said, you know what? We're going to have to do something that's never been done before. We're going to have to get into this house another way. You know, the gospel never changes. Can I get an amen for that? But the way in which we get the gospel out must constantly be changing because the world is always changing and so the way in which we connect with the world the truth of God's love and the gospel the way we get it out must always be adapting to meet the world at their point of need and point of contact they were creative they were innovative now I know it's difficult in churches to change things I understand that 
I, I, listen, I pastored a First Baptist Church, and here's this one right here that's beautiful. You've got a long history, a great heritage. Listen, you, you are standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before you. But for there to be uh, listen, another generation that will stand on your shoulders, we have to always be looking for ways to do gospel ministry that's effective, not that's traditional. Because the, the hardest things to let go of are the things that used to work. And so you might say, well, I got saved with this, and so they ought to get saved with this. No, 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 you're missing the point. The point of the carrying believers is I will adjust everything to help meet people at their point of need to get them to Jesus. Amen? Here's something that's so wonderful. Uh, These four guys... These four guys did something that day that has been recorded for all of history. Isn't that awesome? They probably had no idea. In fact, I'm sure they had no idea that they were going to be a person or people that are going to be preached on in First Baptist coming February 2019. Wow. And those four reasons are still true for all of us today. Are you willing to carry and adjust your life? Do you care? Do you really care about the lost? Are you willing to work together like never before? And would you be creative, innovative, in ways in which we get the the never-changing gospel out? Because these are the words that every person needs to hear. You ready? Your sins are forgiven. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And I'm sure many of you, in fact, most of you have heard that. You've committed your lives to Christ. Listen, your soul has been cleansed through Christ and his blood, and you have now been given new life. You have salvation. But there are some of you here this morning, and you've never made that commitment to Christ. In fact, you may be here for the very first time, and you're hearing this. You're going, wow, this this is something that I, I believe I need. Maybe you're thinking, God has me here at this moment right now for this, that I might understand that Jesus can forgive my sin. He can heal you spiritually. And he can bring your life together and only through Christ. So this morning, if that's your heart's desire, you want to place your faith in Jesus right now, then the Bible says ask. Place your faith in Christ, not yourself, not in religion, in Jesus. 